Welcome to Prepare to Care, the ARP podcast with resources and tools to support the millions of family caregivers who provide unpaid care to their loved ones. I'm Marie Pierre, your host for this podcast. National Asian Pacific American Heritage Month continues here on our podcast. Last week, we spoke with Virginia Calvert about her experiences and observation about caregiving in the Asian American community. This week, we're inviting one of our favorite community partners to give us a little more insight on the Asian American community here in Houston. Here with us today is Jane Vo, Senior Program Director of the Chinese Community Center of Houston. She will share with us what resources they have for caregivers and their loved ones in English, Mandarin, and other languages, and other community organizations in Houston who help Asian American caregivers. Coming up on Prepare to Care. Jane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Marie. So, Jane, number one, what is the Chinese Community Center of Houston? Ah, so um, we are a community center located in Chinatown, and we have basically five core programs. The Art Early Learning Center, which is basically our daycare for um, children 18 months to four years old. Our youth program, um, which offers after-school programming and summer camp for kids. Uh, we have a workforce development program that allows um, you know, education to get people back into workforce, citizenship, ESL classes. Then me, which is the Senior Social Services Department. And lastly, our Community and Culture Department. So basically, our goal is to sit there and kind of bridge east and west and um, sit there and help our immigrant families because that's where we virtually started as uh, started because we started as a language school but now because of the diversity of the community that we're in so many more services and it's a beautiful thing that we're able to do for our community and then speaking with you before the program i learned something very surprising that the chinese community center doesn't serve just chinese people or chinese of of people of chinese origin yes i'm i'm actually only half chinese and so i'm actually vietnamese so um when i was born i'm a native houstonian and so that's one of our biggest hardships because everyone thinks that you have to be Chinese specifically to come to the Chinese Community Center. We actually serve everyone. Um, actually, I think only 60-something, 64 or 68% of our clients are actually Asian, um, and then the rest is everyone else. What? Wait a minute. So it's <laughs> not even all Asian. It's like 65% Asian. Yes. 35% whatever, Anglo, Hispanic. Mm-hmm. African-American. Mm-hmm. African-American. Mm-hmm. And then of the Asian folks who come to see you, not all of them are Chinese. No, not everyone is Chinese. So we do serve also a large Vietnamese population because we are in that area, kind of like where CCC is is in Chinatown. And the other side gets rebranded as Asia Town, Little Saigon, all these different names. Um, and so forth. So we do um, serve a large Vietnamese population too. Um, we have a few Korean clients okay, because um, of some of the partners that we work with. Um, so yeah, we have a lot of different people coming to the Chinese Community Center. And then you're in charge particularly of senior yes. services? Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell us, like, what, what's going on with senior services? What, what do you offer you know, as part of the Chinese Community Center? So me personally, I just kind of give this... Um, just kind of give this caveat is that I like to have fun and I think the one thing that I've learned working with seniors is that we have this image that it's just get old and that's it kind of thing and so one of my goals has been there's so much more to it and let's have fun so we do have core um I guess like 
things that we work towards, right? So we work towards um, financial stability with our seniors. So we have our benefits enrollment center, and then we also have um, our senior community service employment program to help seniors go in job training to get back into the workforce. On the flip side is we want to focus on decreasing isolation because that is one of the hardest things that our senior population faces as they get older, being isolated um, and not being part of their community, which causes all these other issues. So um, with that, we do the caregiver services. We have a support group. We do all these different information sessions. We, um, wow, I'm blanking now. We do so many different things. Right. But the big thing to me is that we try to do fun activities. So in the past, we've done gardening. We've done laughter yoga. We've done with ARP salsa dancing class. You know, we've done all these different things just sit there and just teach our seniors different things and expose them to different opportunities that they may not have been exposed to purely because of the culture the language who knows or just maybe just their location so i'm hearing a mix of things i'm hearing very practical information like mm-hmm. signing up for benefits and medicare and mm-hmm. so on job training and so on a social component um to the to the services that you offer mm-hmm. and then caregiving is it like a caregiving relief program where people can can drop off their, their their seniors for like a few hours or what so, do you offer? Not yet. So we okay. actually are in All the right. middle of construction of our senior um, senior center. Okay. So that'll be at the end of the year where we actually will have a licensed adult daycare, so um, a day activity health services program. Right. And so then that will actually be that piece right there. Right now it's more about teaching um, how to be caregivers or just like caregiving services or information, things that caregivers want to know about. So um, in that, we have, I like to think we break it down to three different things. We have basically caregiver education. So anything that someone would like to learn. So I think of it as just more senior topics. Uh, we have caregiver training. So we actually do technical training. We'll ask partners in the community to come teach things like transfer nutrition and so forth. And then we've been fortunate uh, myself to go to different trainings uh, where we can you know, go back and you know, be master trainers and teach uh, the community. So for instance, I recently went to the Texas Oasis training, which uh, helps you learn how to work with dementia patients. Okay. And it has a really interesting frame of how, um, how to think about it, approach it. And it's been really helpful where we can actually, you know, I've actually done a small component, like one module with our seniors, just how behavior is communication. And it was interesting for them to sit there and see it because it was kind of like all these ahas and light bulbs coming out um, from our seniors. And then the last component is our caregiver support group. So in the Asia community, like us, the support group would look different. I think um, in the American community, support groups are, you know, we come, we talk about our feelings, we sit there and we, you know, there for each other. But in the Asian culture, it's not as open to sit there and talk about our feelings. And so um, recently I've been working towards like, hey, let's be comfortable with even saying that we have feelings maybe kind of thing. Um, And so we've kind of transformed it to that. And recently we had this great opportunity to have ukulele classes. And so we did it kind of as a segue of music therapy is very great. Music is very therapeutic for caregivers. And so our seniors have been learning how to play the ukulele. And it's created this cohesive community within themselves, with their instructor. And, you know, like, it's kind of like those worries that they've had before are gone just from playing the ukulele. So it's kind of, a, I think, like, just a unique approach towards addressing some of these issues. I think, I think you bring something that, that's very interesting to me because I'm, I'm a French ancestry, uh, 
and, and I think that uh, in France as well, uh, people talking about their feelings in little circle is completely out. That would be considered like mental health. Mm-hmm. It would be suspect. Our culture is much more formal mm-hmm. in our relationships to, to others. And yeah. so, um, so are these some of the things that you're trying to address? It sounds like you're trying to, to take in like some of the programs that might work in the English population mm-hmm. and, and find your, your own brand of it uh, in the Asian community being mindful of, of, of what your certain culture expectations are and the way we relate to each other. Yeah, most definitely. Because, like, I always sit there and disclose I'm an American-born, and I'm very American, and I'm always like, and the worst part is I'm a Texan, so it's even worse because it's, like, very upfront and, like, why don't people understand this, Kenny? So I have to take that into consideration, you know? Like, we, how this ukulele thing came about, was originally I went to um, a conference last year in Chicago and they had this drum circle and I was like oh my god this drum circle is amazing I was like I want my seniors to do this in their caregiver support group because again the rhythmic beating like doing a slow tap sits there and lowers your you know your blood pressure your heart rate to a calming pace right so I was like this is great I was so relaxed right like my stress melted away and so I asked one of my colleagues who has a the youth program manager for her little drum thing, and she had it. And she's like, are you sure you want to try this with a bunch of Chinese seniors, Jane? And I'm like, yes, I do. It was the most miserable 20 minutes ever trying to get everyone to do this. But it was funny. I actually got feedback in the sense of, this was very Western. And I'm like, yep, that's me, Western, right? <laughs> And we tried this, and what we found out from this experience was music was not a bad approach. We ended up singing. They ended up singing for the next 20 minutes the same melody over and over and over again. Um, And it allowed us to have this window of, well, what are some other things that you'd like to do, right? And so it allows us to open up these conversations, these difficult conversations like mental health, right? Um, Because, again, I think asking for help, mental health, something as something's wrong with me is really difficult to talk about. But having these conversations, which I always joke around, I'm like, I like to do mental health light, where it's not talking about mental health, but we're talking about different things. And and it allows us to open this door to maybe like, hey, you know what? I am a little stressed out and it's causing me to be sad. Ah, I see. Tell me more about that. Right. You know, and why is it that this kind of stuff matters to you? Because we do a lot of topics sometimes where it makes me wonder, okay, so our seniors really, really want to learn more about diabetes. Our caregivers want to know about this stuff. Well, why? Is it because you just want to know all the health things that are going on? Or is it because you're dealing with it? Or is it someone that you love that's dealing with it that you're taking care of? Like, because it makes a difference on how we approach this. Sure. And so forth. And I think because of creating this open space where it's like, let's talk about this, it's not just purely academic. Because a lot of our seniors are very like, I'm here, I'm ready to take notes. I'm like, that's great. What are you going to do with it? It's It's just personal knowledge. Great. But there's some type of personal connection to this topic. Um, and so just having them open up and tell us kind of gives us that insight into what they're thinking, what they're believing, what they're wondering, you know, what they want to do. And I think that's so important in our conversations with our seniors. And again, culturally, it's very, sometimes very stoic. It's kind of like, there's nothing wrong. You're just being silly and goofy. Yes, that is me. Silly, goofy, all that stuff like that. So are there are there cultural differences? That I'm hearing the stoicism. Are there cultural differences in the way caregiving is approached in the 
uh, Asian American community as opposed to the Anglo American community? So to me, I think it is just an expectation on some level. Um, so you know, like we can talk about the formalities of filial piety. Um, that's very something very strong in our family and like in the Asian culture. So for instance, for me, when I was 10 years old, my grandfather had a stroke. And after he was released from the hospital, he ended up staying with my mom, so with our family. And during that time period, my mom had three kids and me being the oldest at 10 and then my siblings eight and six and so forth. She was working a full-time job, potentially also a part-time job, I don't remember. And here she was taking care of her father right who was still basically bed bound to his bed because he had just had a major stroke and she had to do it because he had actually sat there and spent most of his time raising the three of us you know when she was working so it just made sense for her to do it but obviously working full-time it made it difficult um my mom has one sibling she has a half sister that also lives here in houston so she would come and help but she would come between the hours of 12 midnight and 5 a.m so you can imagine at midnight my aunt comes out knock 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 comes in it's like people are sleeping and she's there and that's the shift so there's this responsibility to taking care of my grandfather right and you know like we knew that too because i know that at a young age it's funny i always tell people like oh i know how to properly transfer a person from a bed to a wheelchair a wheelchair to a toilet because i was doing it when i was 12. Mm -hmm. you know and part of it was like i was the oldest of three here's my mom taking care of my grandfather taking care of us and my grandfather had taken care of me it only made sense like i always joke with people how like my grandfather was chinese um he's the chinese side of the family and he can speak Vietnamese because he'd lived a large part of his adult life in Vietnam, but he would always yell at me in Chinese. So there was a time where I was trying to transfer him from the bed to the wheelchair, and I did not make it. And he was screaming in Chinese, which meant I really was not sure what he was saying, and then ended up laying him on the ground, right? Because there's no way at the age of 12 that I could sit there and put him in. That was the safest way to do it. And I look at these things, it's kind of like this responsibility, you know, right. um, and so forth. And at some point, like my mom could not sit there and balance it the best way possible, where we actually had to hire someone um, to come in and actually sit there and take care of him during the day. And I, and I learned recently from a friend who is a professor at the University of Houston, the Graduate College of Social Work, um, that it's not very common for people to hire professional caregivers in our community and it's actually very common in the Vietnamese community which I had never known um, but it was really interesting to see that because you know that's something that we had always done because my mom you know would be what we call now like the sandwich generation you know she had my grandfather and then she had us you know what and she had a work she had to work <laughs> she had to take care of all of us right and so it was really interesting and so like I can respect that you know there's that responsibility to take care of the family you know, because I always thought, like, every summer we would be over at his apartment, actually in Chinatown, um, and he would take care of us during the day and my mom would pick us up. So it's that family responsibility. Um, yeah. So is there, uh, apart from the family, uh, tell us about the sense of community in, in the... Yeah, so we don't get a lot of the, um, what I like to think of, like, those family caregivers because, obviously, our services are between office hours and people are working, usually. Right. So we get a lot of what I consider community caregivers, right? So we have a lot of our seniors live in senior housing, and so they might live independently, but they've made friends, right? And so, of course, they take care of each other. 
And so a lot of that becomes, you know, like, hey, like, let me check on my neighbor. And that's why I think that, like, my grandpa was part of that, you know, when he was alive. He sat there, and um, how we found out that he had the stroke was his friend who would come by his door every morning to go for a walk came knocking on the door and was like, he's not opening the door. What's going on? Got management to open up the apartment door, and there he was. My grandfather had been lying there on the ground for, you know, how many hours. So, like, I know that, you know, like a lot of our seniors who they may or may not be living with their spouse and they may or may not have family in town, their friendships and, you know, their community right there, whether it's people that talk, you know, speak the same language or not, is so important to so their livelihood. Are, are these communities around uh, geographical areas, you would say, like because people live in proximity to each other? Like seniors living in the same neighborhood or seniors living in senior homes? Is that what the the communities you've seen develop? Yeah, most definitely. Because a lot of, our, like, we have, there are some apartments kind of like what we work with that have a high population of Chinese-speaking residents. And okay. so they all know each other. They try to move over there because there are other people that can speak the same language um, and so forth. And I know that some of the work that we do with them is with the communities is trying to bridge it where it's not just the Chinese residents talking to each other um, because they can actually benefit from, from helping each other in the long run but yeah like definitely the community builds around proximity because they're they probably see each other all the time um, they're probably going to the same senior centers they're probably going to the same resources and they're sharing all the information between each other so so do you see uh, a trend where you have more seniors trying to stay by themselves longer but with the community around them as opposed to people moving in with family or a mix of both or what, what are your clients doing? So I think it all depends because like, so some people, I, one of the interesting things is that um, our seniors don't always like asking for help. Mm -hmm. um, and that's also a, a different thing. And then in their families, sometimes like they live independently and I'll ask some of my seniors, well, why aren't you living? Like, do you have any children here in Easton? They're like, yeah. So why don't you live with your children so that it's easier sometimes? Cause that's what I knew kind of growing up. Um, and they would say, they're like, no, my kids have their own families. They have, things, like, I don't want to live with them. So they live independently um, and so forth. And so, like, that community caregiving is so important because they don't want to burden their children. But I guess in a way, in this community, like, we're all in the same boat. Like, we're kind of independent, but at least we can work and help each other. And so I think that they have that foundational bond to sit there and create this community. Do you think that, that, that they're living uh, more by themselves because they came to the United States? Do you think the situation would have been better if they'd stayed, um, you know, in their original community? You know, I don't really know. Because the thing is, I think there's always some pluses and minuses to why people come and live here. You know, part of it sometimes is to be closer to their family, right? Mm -hmm. But I think part of it is also not wanting to be a burden. Um, most of these individuals are extremely independent. Like I always thought before my grandfather's stroke, he was getting, he was waiting on his visa to go to England, right? And then he had a stroke and so forth. He traveled by himself all the time. And I think that it was totally a 180 for him to sit there and now he couldn't even go to the bathroom by himself. You know, that he had his like 12 year old granddaughter with the help of a hired help to sit there and take him. Right. You know, and it was a totally different thing. And, you know, there might be a component of shame. It's like, I can't do this stuff for myself anymore. It's, you know, like with every senior, there's a lot of loss. And he was like, definitely experiencing a lot of loss all at one time, you know. And then to sit there and be like, now I'm a burden because here's my 
child sitting there taking care of me when she has her own family too sure you know so that must have been hard mm-hmm. um uh so if you had this about all the time we have so if you have mm-hmm. one piece of advice to asian american caregivers and their families what would that be i think the biggest thing is to sit there and realize that it's not a burden or anything you know that it really at the end of the day is still your family right and then i think that's our big push when we do our activities is that we do it together it's not just like the these activities are just for the older person it is meant it's not for an extra opportunity to spend time and bond and be together because the thing is is that when that person's no longer here we were going to wish that we had all that time together with them Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, so today we heard from Jane Vo about senior and caregiving resources available at the Chinese Community Center of Houston. To find out more about what Jane spoke about today, visit their website at www.cccHouston.org. Again, that's www.cccHouston.org or find more about ARP resources for Asian American families. Uh, and for that, you can visit us at www.arp.org AAPI. Again, www.arp.org AAPI. Um, as always, if you thought this podcast was helpful, or if you have friends or family who are new to caregiving, invite them to follow the Prepare to Care podcast at iTunes, SoundCloud, or at www.arp.org slash HoustonPTC. Take our Prepare to Care podcast survey, help us improve future episodes, or find other caregiving planning and local resources to help you and your loved ones. Jane, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. As always, Thanks for listening and thanks for caring.